podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Father God, that's our prayer. We want to be a blessing. We don't want to be filled with the chaos and fear that our neighbors are filled with and talk all day long about things that really aren't going to matter in the end. What's going to matter is whether you're in Christ and are saved uh, or not. Oh, help us to be a light to major on the majors, minor on the minors, and live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you take a seat this morning. We get underway here in Acts chapter 7, at the end of Acts chapter 7, and now we're going to take a few verses into Acts chapter 8 as the gospel is going to spill over, just like Jesus wanted it to, from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and the utmost parts of the world. So it's time for phase two, leaving Jerusalem. And so uh, I want to start this morning by uh, asking you to take a second and think about the most lost person you know, spiritually speaking, the least likely to ever come to know the Lord. Like, you know, if you were to hear the gospel coming out of their lips, If you saw them in church lifting their hands and praising God with some kind of bright countenance, you would be blown away, right? Think about them. You got them in mind? Now multiply their impossibility factor by 1,000, and you will get Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus is going to appear again. He appeared in the last verses uh, last week, but he's going to be introduced again And soon it's all going to be about the mission that God is going to give this converted, uh, murderous, uh, God-hating Pharisee. And so he's going to spearhead a new and furious uh, persecution against the church uh, in our uh, opening verses this morning. He's a monster. He's a monster. And everybody, every Christian knew that about him and feared him. And what's amazing is that we're only 40 verses away from the murderer becoming a missionary and uh, building the faith he once tried to destroy. So uh, I have written down here, just never be quick to write anybody off at all. Nobody. Nobody can be written off. If Saul of Tarsus comes to know Christ, then anybody can. God says to Jeremiah, he says, I'm the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? That's 
like my favorite verse in the Bible. This morning, for sure. Uh, so this homicidal maniac uh, is on a collision course with conversion to Christ. And uh, once he is saved, he'll change his name to Paul, of course, and he'll take the gospel really beyond the confines of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He's the spearhead person. He's the point person, really, who, who's going to do exactly what the Lord wants and, and evangelize in 30 years uh, the entire Roman Empire. And so uh, that's really what the book of Acts is about. Chapters 1 through 7 is Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through, eight to, eight through 12 are Judea and Samaria. And then 13 to 28, the end of the book, is about the utmost parts of the then known world. And so we finished chapter 7 last week. And to quote the bad guys in the story, their accusation to the apostles was, quote, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching about Jesus of Nazareth. There you go. They did their job. But for some reason, they're dragging their heels. They know Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. And when Jerusalem has been evangelized, it had been. But they're real comfortable. Their, their church, you want to go to their church. Their church, everybody loves one another. The needs are being met. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They meet in homes. They meet in the temple. God is doing miraculous things. It's comfortable. You want us to go to where? Samaria? Okay, well, we'll put that on the list somewhere low. But no worries, God. God has his way of getting us to do what God wants us to do. Amen? And he's going to bring it. And so we're going to see how he does it. Now, I want to retrace our steps a bit for context, but not only that, but to go back over uh, the way Stephen dies forgiving his murderers and with an angelic countenance he's so godly really touched my heart and when, as I found myself preparing to go move quicker forward I just got caught up in again and out of personal need I need to hear this again I need to get in my head we can't talk about enemy love which is exclusively Jesus and his people in 10 minutes and think, there we go, we got this. Yeah, I don't think so. I could preach this enemy love that runs from cover to cover every single day of every single week in every single year, and still it would be difficult because it's a God thing for sure. And so uh, we'll back up a little bit, we'll go over, and we'll meet Saul, crazy Saul, and what he's doing. And then we will hit the tip of the iceberg uh, this morning with some verses, but it's just kind of a quick at the end uh, as we get ready for next week in the Samaritan revival that Philip, Deacon Philip, will lead. So uh, here we go with the verses for today. While they were stoning Stephen, who had made the council very upset with the truth, Lord Jesus received my spirit. He knew that this was it. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. <sighs> <sighs> 
When he said that, he fell asleep, and Saul was there giving his approval to Stephen's death. And on that day, now going forward, a great persecution breaks out against the church there in Jerusalem. And, and everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Hmm. Kind of remember what Jesus wanted them to do. Huh. Okay, verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He drags off men and women putting them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. He continues on, Luke writing, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Philip, now Deacon Philip, goes down to a city in Samaria, of all places, and proclaims Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid very close attention to what he said. Yeah, Oh, well, look, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. And so that's where we're headed uh, this morning. The Lord's uh, work in Jerusalem, done for the most part. There's a thriving mega church there. It's not that big of a city, actually. And the work that God has done has been sealed in Stephen's blood and as it's been said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And there's going to be churches popping up all over the place now. So Stephen's death seems to be the catalyst that really opens the floodgates of a fierce persecution uh, they have not seen the likes of. Uh, and, uh, and yet, uh, after this persecution, God just uses it uh, to take the gospel Forward. So um, it was something about really the public debate, the massive conversions, the way the church is just unstoppable. It's just uh, Stephen is the last straw for sure. And the pressure's been building <laughs> for some time. And now, boom, the community of unbelievers have really uh, snapped. They're like, this is our moment. We killed one of them in cold blood illegally illegally. They weren't allowed to do that. But they're above the law. You know, they're those corrupt religious guys. And so uh, there, there became this uh, great persecution. The word for great there is megas, where we get the word mega. So it was a mega persecution and very intense and it descri it's described as frenzied, out of control, ferocious, uh, the picture is ravenous wild boars tearing into its prey. Uh, that's what Calvary Chapel Jerusalem was facing more than an article in the newspaper. Oh my word. And so, yeah, and it's all led by Saul, who if I described it as ravenous wild boars, he would be the head hog. Okay, so, but, but no worries. God has the secret weapon up his sleeve. He Romans 8.28 Romans 8.28, for God is working all things together for the good of his good purposes for us, his dearly loved children, for the gospel, for Christ's sake. So he's got a way, my friends, of turning what was meant for harm, and listen to this, into something good. What the devil means for evil, God says, 
I could use that. And he, he is, after all, called our great redeemer. That's the job of a redeemer. So let's revisit here in the text the opening verses, Stephen's ordeal, and lay our dear brother to rest. And so the follow along there, verse 2 says, it was godly men who went back to the scene of the crime, literally, uh, to retrieve our dear brother's broken body from beneath the pile of rock to give him an honorable burial. They're not leaving him under that massive stone pile. No way. We're going to get him we're going to extricate his remains and give him a proper, honorable memorial service with lots of grief and tears. They mourn him, but not in the way that others in the world mourn who have no hope. We, we cry in a different way. So we cry with hope. Uh, why does the Holy Spirit tell you the character qualities of the brothers who go to get his body? Why are they godly? Mm, because it takes guts to go back to the scene of the crime where everybody's heated and everybody's just more than willing to take the next few guys and add them to the pile of rocks as well. The wicked flee when nobody's pursuing those right with God. The godly, the righteous are as bold as a lion because we've got God. And after they kill our bodies, they can do nothing else. And Jesus said, don't fear them, because after the execution, they're powerless. And there you are in all your glory in eternity forever. And so, yeah, they're like, we want our, our brother's body. Go ahead, get your rocks. We're not leaving without him. They're bold as a lion, and so are we. Uh, what kind of memorial was that? Oh, my word. This guy's no ordinary guy. I've never heard the Bible describe a man like this from cover to cover, except Jesus. Full of the Holy Spirit on several occasions. It says it over and over again. Demon was small. God was big. It was all about God. Just amazing. Full of God's wisdom and good reputation. Full of God's power. Full of God's grace. I'm quoting. You know, sometimes at memorial services, you kind of, you do this thing. We all do it. We sort of make them sound a little bit nicer than they really were <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, but at this memorial service, you couldn't describe a, him enough as a wonderful, wonderful person. And so many had stories about coming to faith because he was this unbelievably gifted evangelist. He's an apologist. We call that um, a Christian, an apologist, if they're really good at defending the faith. And that was his deal. It was his gift, and it was also uh, what cost him his life in an honorable way. Because Paul the Apostle says, we're all about honoring God, whether by life or death. For us, it, it just doesn't matter. In fact, we want to honor him by the way we live and in the way we die. Amen? Amen. And so, yeah... <laughs> The kangaroo court convened, the court of 70, they gave him the floor to answer the charges, and, and they didn't like what Stephen was saying, which is the gospel. They covered their ears like a bunch of babies, you remember, last time, and furious, gnashing their teeth, they rushed and dragged him uh, to his untimely death. 
And God mercifully distracts him and says, look up here, look up here. Eyes up here, son. Not here. Not with the problem pressing in and the fear uh, making thing and the anxiety. Look to me. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Colossians 3 and verse 1. And he did that and he looks and he says, I see Jesus standing and of course, you know, cheering him on as it were. And so he, he gets in, and in depth, you know, Stephen's mind is on things above and his last words are not threats. It's a blessing of saying, God, God, don't hold this against them. Love them. Save them. Help them. These poor guys. They're killing me. No threats. No vengeance. No bitterness. No disillusionment. You know. So he lives up to his accolades that the Holy Spirit gave him in his death and how he died. He prays. Who prays for the guys who are killing you? Only Jesus and those like Jesus. Period. Don't hold the sin against them. Father, forgive them. Like father, like son. That's how it goes. And so, uh, last week a woman came up to me, dear friend, and said, I don't think I could pray for angry men who are putting me to death like that. And I said, yeah, me either. No, no, no. Uh, keep in mind, uh, he's not. <laughs> Stephen is not filled with himself or worldly wisdom or natural inclination. That's not what he's filled with. He's filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God can do that sort of thing. When you crush a container, out comes whatever you're, it's full of. So the jar of honey or a jar of pickle juice. <laughs> Right? And so, yeah, that's how he lived, sweet and gracious, and that's how he died. And by the way, you will die how you lived. I don't know whatever fantasy you have about how your last breath will be, but it'll be exactly how you think and feel and live. So if you want to die well, start living well. Because it's not magically going to happen on your deathbed. <laughs> you know, strange as this is going to sound, I really like the show called Mayday, which is about airplane disasters. <laughs> and they, I've told you this before, some of them have a happy endings, some of them don't. In the sad episodes, you often hear, because they, they take it word for word, because they got the black box. And their last words, panic, profanity, and the Lord's name in vain. That's how they're going into eternity. That's not how I plan to go into eternity. I want to go like Stephen. I want to die the death of a righteous man. Those put right with God. Not because we're good. I want to go in blessing people, saying nice things, uplifting people, not bitter, like, what does this have to happen to me? And, you know, woe is me, and all of this nonsense, you know? And so, yeah, that's not the way Stephen passed, is it? He's not like that. And so, yeah, um, Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how I'm ever going to do this Christian life. I mean, week after week, all I hear about is things I can't do. I'm terrible at. Well, of course. The Christian life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, just by the way, John 15, 5, 
Apart from me, you can't do any of this. Nothing. Oh, you think, well, I got some of the easier things in the Christian life, but some of these hard things, I just don't know how I'm going to ever do it. Turning the other cheek, someone insults you and you go, you, you just let it go. You turn the other cheek, get you brace yourself for the next one because you don't care. It's irrelevant what you think and say, sir. I live for the audience of one. Go the extra mile. The Romans used to come in and tap you on the shoulder. Boom, it's called conscripting you for service. So they're carrying some sack. And, and you're walking along, you've got your own life, right? And so here's this Roman soldier who goes, boom, carry this sack one mile. It was Roman law. Jesus said, I want you guys to be different. I want to reach that Roman heart. I want you to say at the end of the mile, I want you to look up and say, you know, I've got a little time. Can I go too? Can I carry this too? And you're like, I can never do that. I know. I know. I can't do it either. But if you're all about you, you'll never do it. But if you're smaller and you're decreasing and the Spirit of God is overflowing and more dominant in you than your natural inclinations, then you will. And it's the only way. It's the only way. If you want to hold on to your life and your stuff and your control, you're never going to have the power to live the Christian life because you're, you, there's not room. There's not room. And good luck. Good luck trying to, when someone sues you, to say, hey, can I throw in a, a gift? Can I, can I get your email address because I want to send you an e-card or whatever, you know? So... Uh, there you have it. So the grace will come to you when you need it. Listen, a friend came up, you might be here, and he said, listen, the grace comes when you need it. Like my dad taught us as kids, when we were facing a challenge that, that freaked us out, my dad would say, listen, if I had tickets to Disneyland... When would I give them to you now? And the boys would say, no, when we get there, when we're at the gate, then you would give it to me. And that is how God works. So don't get freaked out because you're thinking, I don't have that kind of grace. You don't have it now. But when you're standing on the X, or when they're firing you from your job because you won't take the jab, because for you, it's against your conscience. And so you're going to have to redo your whole life. But in the moment, not today, but when you're standing there, boom, it comes down. That's how it happens. So be encouraged, my friends, because when the Egyptian army is closing in and all that's in front of you is the Red Sea, <laughs> you don't get it 10 minutes before. But when you need it, I promise you, because God is not a liar like us. <laughs> he is beyond lying. He tells the truth. And what he says stands. He says, I will give you the grace to overcome. And everyone who has faith in the Lord overcomes. And so 8-1, uh, you see Saul, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the accomplice. Did you know that in our legal system, aiding and abetting in a crime 
It's not just that, oh, well, he didn't really do it. He's just standing there giving all of, lending his authority, helping out in the cause. I'll watch your personal property, lay it at my feet. It's all good. Yes, and I am a voting member, and I am a man of clout on the committee, and I'm saying do it. He's aiding and abetting. And in law, <laughs> you are an accomplice, and you face the same exact punishment as the guy who does the deed. Because you facilitated it, you encouraged it, you knew about it, didn't say anything. Guilty. So Saul's standing there, and by the way, complicit there in the Greek, giving his consent, it's a word that includes deriving delight. So there's a sadistic thing about seeing Christians suffer and die. He's enjoying seeing the rocks crush our brother, a hero in the faith. And by the way, they, and they send him to his uh, martyr's crown. Do you know that there are five crowns mentioned in the New Testament? Just Google the five crowns in the Bible, and you can do a little study on the five crowns. But Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus seems to allude to a martyr's crown that you will wear in heaven and will always know who gave their life for Jesus because they will be uh, honored in that way. So, yes, yeah, so a lot of commentators, as I've met, been mentioning about this Saul character, that his spiritual defense, his wall, his shield to all things gospel has taken a blow. And they blame, <laughs> they blame our brother Stephen that it just that supernatural glowing that Saul had to see his out-of-this-world historic speech about the history of Israel. Nobody has that kind of wisdom. The way he died, he heard him say, don't hold this against him. And that heaped burning coals of conviction upon this bad guy. And it's burning a hole. It's burning a hole. We got 40 verses to becoming the world's greatest Christian that ever lived. 40 verses to go, Saul. <laughs> so the closer the Holy Spirit inches somebody <laughs> and drags them toward conversion, and they kind of sense it's happening. I did. The more crazy they get because they can't do anything about it because he's got, he's got his tractor beam locked on your soul and he's dragging you against your will. This happened to me and a lot of you. I walked in a bar, as you know. I wasn't looking for Jesus in the bar. Trust me. He was pulling me, pulling me, pulling me, no matter how I ran. And I just thought, well, he's not going to find me in this dark cave of a bar. He's in there. Drag him. He dragged me out of the bar and saved me on the sidewalk with my brother. The, the more he does it, the hotter you get, the angrier. And like I told you one other Sunday, if you're looking at a pack of feral, mangy mutts, you throw a stone. The one that yelps the loudest is the one you hit. And Stephen hit Saul square in the forehead. Bam. And he's become crazy now, devouring people, dragging off mom and dad screaming, begging for mercy, 
crying out to Jesus, praying to Jesus with the little kids clinging to their legs. I want you to picture this monster. This is no just knocking at the door. Hey, we've heard you've been sharing the gospel. No, didn't happen that way. Let's look at what Paul says of his own wretched life here. We have that testimony there, Spencer. For I am the least of the apostles, now he's saved. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I am one. God made me one. Uh, I am what I am. I did what I did. The grace of God has not been without effect on me. Uh, but wow, I'm not worthy. I persecuted the church of God. And then he, tell, uh, then he gives in his uh, testimony there when he's called to stand on the X again. I used to hate Christians, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, and punished them often in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme. And uh, being fiercely enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I was out of my mind with hate for Christians and Christ. So in his testimony, he's saying, so explain me. Explain me. If that's who I used to be, and you all know it. They all knew it. They know him. You remember, I said, kill him. I'll guard the stuff. Now you're trying to kill me because I'm more like him than you guys. I just want you to explain that. How did that happen? What's in it for me to want to take a road that leads to martyrdom? Why would I want to do that and incur all of your wrath? What human logic would make me want to build up the faith I once tried to destroy? My life is screaming to you. There is a God. Jesus is Lord. He came down to die for the sins of the world. And anybody who simply puts his trust in him will live forever. That's amazing. Amen. So we have time to move on a little bit here. And so these believers, I love this, he scatters them. And look, the Christians flee for their lives, verse 2, preaching the gospel wherever they go. I love them. I love them. They're the real deal. They're preaching. They're, they're not the seminary-trained ones. They're not the, the, the vocational clergy. Clergy is from the Latin, which means teacher. They're not, they're not the professional guys. They're the everyday pew-sitting Ordinary Joe Christians, that's what they are. And they're doing the missionary work. Displaced, running for their lives, seeing their friends murdered. They don't change the message. They don't say, hey, I need to cool it because there are mandates against us and they'll hunt us down and Saul goes to other places hunting us. But no, they, they don't change. They go out preaching. The same message. <laughs> I, I love them. Ordinary uh, people go out to plant churches and save lives, just like the gospel says. Can you imagine if every single person in this room became a full-time, in their heads, full-time missionary, scattered? Oh, my word, just in this service, just imagine if everybody just thought the number one priority in my life is to make sure somebody in my sphere of influence doesn't go to hell forever. 
Can you imagine? I'm looking at just this section. If you all, and I know that many of you, this is a top priority. But I'm just saying if we made it even more of a priority, that you don't go obnoxious, you don't go socially awkward crazy, but you do wait for opportunities because the most important thing to you is that the person in front of you isn't going to hell. That's your job. That's your calling. That's what we all do. But I can't imagine if then uh, that I knew in my heart that 24-7 you're just consumed with doing what God wants you to do and reaching out to who God wants you to reach out to. I covet the people in your workplaces. I want to get to them. I wish I could go to the gym where you are. Not really the gym, but to be honest, I don't like that place at all. It's mostly because of what's on the screens. I can't, the screens everywhere I look, everywhere I look, defiled, defiled, defiled. Anyway, I digress there, but let's, let's do what they did. He scattered them. Now, they don't really want to go to Samaria. Why? The church had become quite comfortable, as I said. We don't want to go to Judea. And the closer you get to Samaria, ooh, they don't like the Samaritans. Why? Let me explain this to you. Well, let's go on through, finish up now with a quick shout out to the mission outside of Jerusalem, starting in verse 5. Philip, deacon number 2, goes down to Samaria, proclaims Christ there. The crowds are amazed and they're hanging on his every word and a lot of people get saved. There's this Samaritan revival, it's called. And so the great persecution has led to a great revival. So let's finish up there. Hold on. The screen in the back's not working and I just have to be sure. 10 o'clock. Oh no. (laughs) I need to change that for sure. But I can do the math. It's pretty easy to go back an hour, so I know. All right. So, like I said, just a few minutes. Let me shut off my cell phone too, well, because that's me pinging you. I'm not perfect. All right. And if you think this is easy, come on up here. Come on up here. All right. So, the great persecution, oh, terrible, 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 leads to perhaps the greatest revival and obedience to the scriptures. So they're dragging their feet. And what does God have to do when you're dragging your feet? He's got to turn up the heat. He does it all the time. Are we not used to this? <laughs> exactly. So he's going to use the, he's going to set the thermostat in Jerusalem to 120 degrees. Whew, they can't take it. So they scatter. Why don't the, the apostles go? Uh, probably a sense of duty. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We go down with the ship. We're not going anywhere. Although they're not keen on Samaria either. But Philip, oh my word, God is a genius. Philip is not a native-born Jew. He's a foreigner. He's, he's a Greek speaker. He's not a Hebrew speaker. So what does he have? He has a softer outlook to outside the confines of kosher Jerusalem. So the Samaritans, who are they? The Samaritans 
are people in the more north that Assyria came in and deported the Jews 700 years earlier and repopulated with pagan foreigners from other lands. And now Samaria became mongrels, ethnically speaking, a mixed race with different cultures and different ideas and different ways to worship. So the Jews said, you're not really Jews, because they weren't. You don't worship the same God, because they didn't. But Jesus stopped there. No good, no decent Jew would even go through there unless they really, really had to. And Jesus went through on purpose to find the Samaritan woman who would lead to the Samaritan village coming forward. So Philip is surely saying, hey, remember Jesus? Remember the woman who came back? Many of you came to him, and many of them are in the crowd going, right on, brother. Yes, we're from that revival uh, that Jesus himself brought. And so uh, he is the one to, to go into Samaria to get things started. And so that's the question that I want to end on is you can't reach Samaria until you get over your hate of their aberrant ways. They had a custom. They hated them. They hated them. To call someone a Samaritan was a cuss word. And who did they call a Samaritan? Aren't we right, Jesus, in saying you're demon-possessed and... You're a Samaritan. John chapter 8. There are people who handle the pandemic differently than we. There are governing officials who seem to be detached from reality and bent on destroying things. Um, Who else do we hate? (laughs) Well, let's just be honest, right? I was on a plane once, and there's this drunk woman who reeked of alcohol, and she just couldn't stop talking. And we were seated in, it was a funny arrangement. It wasn't like rows like this. It was like side facing each other. And she just wouldn't stop talking about me, describing the way I looked. Uh, It was favorable, but you know what? She was drunk. And I remember thinking thoughts despising her, just despising her, writing her off the face of the earth, done. You're a nothing. You're a nobody. Ew. Why? I'm sorry about it. I was raised with alcoholics, pushing all the buttons. And God said to me, and I'll never forget it, in my heart, if you write her off, Who's going to reach her? If you, a pastor, with Christ in your heart, if you can't get across the bridge, who's going to reach her? So instead of despising her in my heart, I pray for her. And once you start praying, then everything changes. (laughs) You know, your feelings kind of follow your actions. You lead your feelings. They'll follow sometimes. And so, uh, how are we going to pray for our murderers? (laughs) We can't even pray for our loved ones, really. I mean, when they offend us, too. 
How do we love our enemies when we can't even love our wives and our husbands who offend us because they left the cupboard door open? Sorry. How are we going to do this? I'll tell you. I think I got a picture, the image there. Spencer, no, not that one. It's, a, it's in the shape of a cross. No, not that one. There's a cross. Did you get that? Yeah. Okay. That's the way you do it. You, the way you do it is you think that he's doing that for you. That changes me. When, when I'm around the cross and I'm thinking crown of thorns and blood and Jesus gasping, I, I get off my high horse every single time. I can't hate people. I can't be a jerk. I can't be obnoxious, which is a miracle. Uh, when, <laughs> when I'm near this, I just can't. It just level. It takes me down, right? Not only that, but to allow him allow him to give us the grace to be crucified with him because the Bible says, don't you realize you were in him? You died with him. That's us. So if I'm dead and I'm nailed and I'm dying of myself, then boom. Then I can, because t- Ross is out of the way. Jesus is here to love that unlovely person. Let's pray. Father God, now as we remember you, <laughs> and your death on our behalf, that we have been crucified with Christ and the world crucified to us and us to the world, then we have some hope of being Christ-like. More of you and less of us, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.